to make it three. Scintillating football by the Chicago Fire. Finding Herbers. Fabian Herbers is in again, and Fabian Herbers has scored again. A man on fire. Welcome to a very special edition of the Intercontinental Football Show. No, it is not because Chelsea had a 3-0 win over Villa. No, it is not because Arlo had what looked to be made probably my favorite soup thus far in spicy, chunky <laughs> tomato. But it is because we have officially reached double digits of the Intercontinental Football Show, episode number 10. And we've got loads to talk about. Tyler Terrence along with the voice of the Premier League on NBC, Mr. Arlo White. The tan is still there. It looks it looks great now. You don't look, it doesn't look like you could potentially be um, sunburnt anymore. But this this looks like a, a man who's properly off a of vacation and uh, and and called a couple of great great Premier League games. Of course, our, our thoughts and prayers are with Harvey Elliott as he goes through his recovery, um, which you know should be about six months, is what Jurgen Klopp said. But we got a lot to talk about between the Chicago Fire, Premier League, Champions League coming up this week, as well as we're going to start group stage play. Um, in the Champions League proper, Mr. Arlo White, how are you, my friend? I'm doing well. Yeah, you know, an update on the tan situation. You know, you 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 guys uh, both thought, you know, and I, to be fair, I was glowing in the dark um, in the evenings. Um, but I did say that eventually, you know, once one layer had completely peeled off, that that I would look um, slightly healthier than I do for 11 months of the season. That is what's happened. It's not going to last for much longer. I was glad to get a pitch side desk in with the yeah. tan, you know, so, so when most Salah came up, it would have been a waste and, if you didn't. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You want, you want maximum exposure, don't you, for the money you paid for the vacation. So when Patrick Bamford came across most Salah, Virgil van Dijk, you could tell me had a quick uh, fist bump with, with Jurgen Klopp, difficult situation with Harvey Elliott, but you could tell they all looked at me and I'd met them before and they thought, you know, that's a decent tan that guy's got, yeah. you know, and, he, and yeah. he's certainly less pasty than when we've spoken to him at Melwood. For, for inside the minds in, in previous days. So it was lovely mm-hmm. to be able to show that to the whole of America on NBCSN. How is Jurgen Klopp's fist bump? Because uh, obviously, you know, giving hugs right now is faux pas, but how is his fist bump maybe more emphatic than, than your typical fist bump? It, it was pretty emphatic. And you, and you know what? And we'll get into this as well, Tyler. You know, <laughs> it, was, it was such a good performance by Liverpool. It was yeah. such an amazing atmosphere at Ellen Road. Um, but the Harvey Elliott injury has put a dampener on it all because it was so horrendous and just that we because he was walking past the back of our desk as we were waiting we weren't on air as we were waiting for um, Virgil van Dijk to come across and Graham Lasso had suffered a very similar injury Graham only had one really serious injury and it was very similar to the one that it appears that Harvey Elliott has suffered so we had a very quick word and actually I think Jürgen needed some good news, you know, because it was like, I've suffered that injury. I came back strong, you know, and it, and it, and it just it lifted Jürgen's spirits a little bit because he was, and, and as the press press guy, Matt McCann has said to me afterwards, he was all over the place after the game because it was such a serious, and it happened right in front of the bench as well. So uh, so it was nice that the Graham was able to put his mind, you know, in that situation, it's not going to make it better, but he certainly said that, you know, this, he's going to be okay. It's just going to take time. So that that was a nice little moment, and we'll get into that in a little while, won't we? When we uh, when we talk about the Premier League time, yeah, and uh, and and we'll certainly dive into. It. I mean, for me, it was it was one of those ones where you said it was a fair challenge, and um, I, I totally agreed with you in the moment. I probably would have said the same thing on the commentary, but um, we can we could take a deeper dive into that in a little bit. But for the Chicago Fire. Fire! 
Mr. Arloway. This is uh, this is dire times um, as we have 11 games remaining. We said that they were going to have, you know, about seven or eight games that they needed to win out of the remaining 12. And that was starting with Sporting Kansas City. They drop all three mm-hmm. points by a score of two to nil. Basically, the first six minutes, um, you know, undo- you know, undid them. And it was a mistake from Bobby Shuttleworth, a guy who, you know, could arguably be the MVP of the season. He, he won't mm-hmm. get it just because, you know, he doesn't have the clean sheets or anything like that. But um, a guy who's quite literally been sure handed more so than anybody. And then, um, you know, one mistake in terms of defensive balance and, and, you know, not dealing with Sporting Kansas City in transition. I know you watched some extended highlights and and were able to sort of get a good feel for what was going on in that game. But. You know, the silver lining is that Federico Navarro makes his debut um, after only having trained, you know, a few times um, during during the week. And his last game that he played was on August 1st against Boca Juniors. He played all 90 minutes. But other than that, you know, it's been pretty slim in terms of actual full team training and, and being able to be match fit. But boy, did he look up for it. He totally changed the game. Um, you know, first 45 minutes from the fire was was not great. You know, the first six minutes obviously were were not great at all, but. They settled in the next 10 minutes or so, and then it was all sporting, and it probably could have you know, been another goal or so. But second half rolls around, and we couldn't even get the halftime interview in with Rafael Wicke because he was busy making three changes at halftime and talking to John Espinosa, Chinoso Ofor, and Federico Navarro when we were supposed to be doing our interview with him. And we sort of looked down at our communications director on the sporting side, Jamie Chin, and we just sort of gave him the, you know, let's kill it because he's got bigger fish to fry than talking to me and Tony about what was obviously uh, not an ideal first half. But those three come on. Navarro comes on and replaces Mauricio Pineda. They go to a four back. Mm. And Navarro, you know, everything is advertised and then some. And it was just his first 45 minutes of Major League Soccer. His close down speed is incredible. He's he's just got a lot of energy in the middle of the field. He's a ball winner. He's a disruptor. Um, He's just got an insatiable appetite for the game. And he also showed a little bit in the attacking third as well. There was one particular play where he made a little cutback on his left foot and and he and he unleashed on a shot with with his weaker left foot that was hit right at right at Timelia, but it still was a good effort. So this is a young man who's just 21 years of age. He's just come to this country and already he's, you know, making an impact on the game. And I'm really excited for him to maybe make his first start um, against DC United on Wednesday. But Arlo, I mean, this was a game that you, you probably didn't go into it saying we need to get three points here. A point would have been really nice. And it's frustrating because this is a group that, you know, played really well in the second half. You had two crossbars from Lucas Stojanovic and Fabian Herbers and, Stojanovic then also had what you could argue is a sitter by his standards. You know, it was a beautifully bent in ball by Alvaro Madron, and he just simply couldn't put it on frame. So you created the chances to get back into the game, but going to a place like Sporting Kansas City, which is the t- one of the toughest places to play in Major League Soccer, and going down 2 0, it, it becomes like a, an incredibly steep mountain yeah. that, that you have to claim. And it, it almost seems insurmountable at that point with, with the crowd behind them. Yeah, the Cauldron were, were, were on form, weren't they? They made a lot of noise, and that place is tough to go to um, and they've made it their own Sporting Kansas City. Um, I've been there a few times, beautiful stadium and it is loud. Yeah. And what you can't do is give the opposition two goals in the opening six minutes. Now, Bobby Shuttleworth, as you said before, he has been simply outstanding this season um, and rarely has he made a, a mistake. He has kept the fire in so many games. He made, you know, a, a joint 
MLS record for the amount of saves in the in a in a first half earlier this season. And he's he's played absolutely lights out. And he will be mortified with yep. the nature of, of of that mistake because it's 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 through the legs, isn't it? It's one of those. It's through the legs. It's early in the game. And then the cauldron's behind you. He'd have been hearing it from them. And then I think that unsettled the fire anyway, because you look at you look at the you look at the imbalance of, of the amount of fire players over on the fire's left-hand side when the shot was taken in the first place. I mean, it mm-hmm. was it was strange to see that. Here's the thing, Tyler, in looking at these highlights, at nil-nil before the first goal was scored. So Lukas Stojanovic, who's been one of the best offensive players of late, played in that number six role, didn't he, with number eight on his back, and he was essentially the holding midfielder for that game. Now, I don't mind holding midfielders going ahead of the ball every now and again. It's just knowing when to do it. And he did it brilliantly to win the ball. Mm-hmm. Four or five minutes into the game, a cross came in, and Herbers had a, a headed opportunity. But okay, it was 16 yards out, but, you know, a better connection, and that could have tested Melia, the, the, the goalkeeper, and it could have been 1-0 very early on. Then the wheels came off defensively. And the nature of the second goal as well, with the, with the fire's heads all over the place, you know, um, Taran gets caught way ahead of the ball. He's chasing back. Uh, Navarro doesn't get back. So when the initial save is made down to his left-hand side, a very good save by Shuttleworth, there were two Sporting KC players on the back post to tap into an empty net. And Navarro, um, the, the, the wing-back, was, was nowhere to be seen. And that was really, really disappointing. But then, as you say, you know, the SKC have most of the play towards the end of the first half. And then and then Rafa, and we've talked about his decision-making, and, the, and he's not afraid to make big choices. And that's what he did at half-time. And you know what, you know what I loved about the start of the second half? is that Federico Navarro won possession 41 seconds into the second half. And I thought the Federico Navarro era in Chicago has begun. That's how you start a half. A loose ball guy tries to bring it under control in the centre circle. Bang, he's there with a challenge, wins the ball back. And, And it provided a platform, as we said last week, for the fire to play. Stojanovic hits the bar after an hour. Herbers hits the crossbar a few uh, a few minutes later. We had the all four chance um, from the Stojanovic uh, yep. knocked down. Uh, Navarro with the shot, as you say, chopped onto his left foot. That, that was a stinger, but it was straight down uh, Melia's throat, wasn't it? But it just shows that he can get forward and support the attack as well. Alvaro Madran in the first half and the second half, giving him a little bit of time. He can bend across and he can put it on what we was, would call a sixpence, what you would call a dime. And uh, and it's, uh, um, it was Stojanovic with the headed chance that was put right. Now, if, they, if any of those goes in after an hour, 65 minutes, 75 minutes, 80 minutes, You've got a grandstand finish on your hands and the momentum shift goes to the fire. Unfortunately, they were unable to take those chances. And in the end, it looks like a relatively straightforward 2-0 victory for Sporting Kansas City. But I'd like to think that the second half was the start of the Federico Navarra era for the Chicago Fire. And therefore, when we look forward to 2022, it started at halftime in front of the cauldron in Kansas City that's what we've got to look forward to. And I think it's very exciting. So that said, Tyler, it was a 2-0 defeat. So the Fire are now eight points off the playoff positions with 11 games to go. And they're hunting down the likes of DC United and Montreal. Guess who's the next two opponents? DC United and Montreal. So you're going to the nation's capital, uh, to their, their beautiful, relatively new stadium at Audi Field. We've joked on the broadcast about must-win games. And Tony Miola will will... Love this as well because he loves he loves a must win game, Tony, doesn't he? But is this the most important game of the fire season? 
at DC United on Wednesday night? It has to be. It has to be, right? I mean, you talk about the fire now being eight points off of, of, of a playoff spot. They're chasing both Montreal and DC United, who are both sitting on 31 points. And you're looking at this at, at this stretch and you say, okay, you have 11 games remaining. And we talked about needing to win seven or eight. And it's not just needing to win seven or eight, but these are these are six pointers. These are the proverbial six pointers where you can really cut into that lead that you're looking for. It's not like you need to be scoreboard watching and hoping that, you know, Red Bulls gets a result against Montreal. This is your opponent and this is where you're going. And listen, D.C., you know, while they have, you know, while they have been good this year, they still have not been great against playoff teams. They've been they've been beating up on teams that are below them in the standing. So this is a group that I think is on the fires level. And when you look at DC United and and the fact that they have, you know, nine or ten wins and or excuse me, nine wins, and the fire who have, you know, six wins, it's it's those minimal, minimal margins in major league soccer that we always talk about and how much parity there is in this league. Fire are not that far off from a talent standpoint from DC United. They just aren't. Ola Kamara, you know, has been scoring goals left and right. He's got 14 or 15. Five of those have come from the penalty spot. But other than that, it's just a bunch of guys who have scored four goals, two goals, one goal, and they have a good balance. And they're not particularly strong defensively. They just seemingly have gotten some of those results that the Fire haven't this year. So this is a group that they certainly can pick off. It's a group that likes to press high. They're going to give up chances, but they're also going to create a lot of chances in your own defensive third just from how many numbers they throw forward. But 1,000%, this is a must-win game, and you could argue that the next two games are must-win when they go to Montreal on Sunday um, after they play D.C. United on Wednesday. The New England game, I think they they have a little bit of wiggle room. When you look at the schedule and you you have, you know, seven or eight wins out of 11, you know, the New England game is maybe one that that you can afford to maybe get a point out of. And New England had, you know, what, what more can you say about Bruce Arena's side, who have literally been in first place in the Eastern Conference, I think, since the first day of the season. Um, and they haven't surrendered that at the top of the Eastern Conference table. So without a doubt, a must win. You know, Tony joked on the broadcast that, you know, don't ask me because I'm telling you right now it's going to be a must win. And I said, no, 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 don't worry. Don't worry. I won't ask you. And I sort of waited three or four seconds. I think the ball went out of play. I said, Tony, I might have to ask you because there are some people who just, there are some people who might've, you know, turned off the game at that point or might've not been tuned in. And, and they need to know that when you're looking at the fire schedule and we're at the business portion of the season, this is a must win. DC United sends shivers down my spine because the worst moment of my Olympic Games was early morning watching DC United score two late goals in a 2-2 draw at Soldier Field. And bear in mind, I had food poisoning for 36 hours, and that was only the second worst moment of of my Olympic experience. Let me ask you this. The, The second half was played with the back four, and the fire created chance after chance. They came so close. Does the signing of Federico Navarro change Rafa Wicky's thinking in how he goes about things in terms of his formation. He switched early this season to a back five. We've seen some very good results in the middle portion of the season. What do you think going down to DC in terms of how he lines up? Yes, it does change his thought process, number one. Number two, it's not just the introduction of, of Federico Navarro, but it's the reintroduction of Ignacio Alaceda as well. So you have to remember that this is a guy who's been hurt for about a month now. He's a young DP. He's one of the few players on the Fires roster that can that can go on the half turn and drive at defenders. And when I say one of the few, he is one of the few. And if you watch that game, 
um, on Saturday between Sporting and the Fire, you could see that the likes of Gotti Kinda, Johnny Russell, Daniel Shallowy, they have four, five, six guys who want to just go, go, go and put defenders on their heels. The Fire really don't have all that many players like that. So you have to find a way to get Nacho in. Federico Navarro comes on at halftime and replaces Mauricio Pineda. You're taking off one of your three center backs because you simply just need to get another midfielder on the field. If you're Rafael Wiki, I'm not exactly sure how you can play the three-back system and get the midfield that you want and get the production that you want out of those guys. Because if we're, if we're speaking honestly, Arlo, I think that the, the midfield that maybe Fire fans are waiting for is Frederico Navarro in that sort of ball-winning position. Not, you know, the number six in terms of the playmaking role, but, you know, he's going to be the guy that's going box-to-box. Box. And then Gaston Jimenez and Alvaro Madron in front of him um, and able to just, you know, take, you know, let, let them loose because Gaston Jimenez and Madron have had to do a lot of defending both individually and combined when either one has been hurt or on international duty. So now that they have that comfort to know that Navarro's behind them to go win the ball, I think you could be looking at a totally different midfield for the fire. So for me... And I, then Tyler, and then, yeah. then uh, even off wide. Even off wide and, and potentially... And, and Ali Seda. Yeah, yes, and then Berich yeah, or 04 down the middle. Yeah, I mean, that, yeah. that has a great deal of potential. Yeah, so so I I do think that it changes things up. Now, obviously, you could you could go back to the to the three four three, and you could have Federico Navarro and let's say Gaston Jimenez or Madron, and then you're leaving out one of those two because I think at this point we we know that because Navarro has such a different profile than everybody else, he needs to be on the field. He, he changes the game. He's a disruptor, and that's the kind of guy you need in Major League Soccer or any football team for that matter. So. It's definitely going to change the way that Rafael Wicke is going to think about upcoming games and and even heading into next year, um, you know, and, and what that formation is going to look like. But if we know anything from Rafael Wicke at this point, Arlo, is that he is tactically flexible and he's not stuck in his ways that it's not mm-hmm. my way or the highway. It's, you know, what are my guys giving me and, and what who do I have on my roster and how can I sort of get the best out of them and put them into positions to succeed? Okay, then, Tyler, let's see how it goes uh, at Audi Field in D.C. Where can people watch? What are the times? Is it you and Tony? Talk us through it. It is Tony and myself, and we will be on WGN and Chicago Fire FC Live. It is a 6.30 Central Time kickoff on Wednesday, so be sure to tune in to what is effectively the biggest game in Chicago Fire season to date. Um, I think three points and you can, you know, really start to take a look at the schedule and say if we can go on a run of four or five games, then then you can start to make a push. But um, the, the time is now and, they, and they've really got to start to get going. But um, excited to, to head down to A-Dub's uh, neck of the woods in the DMV area. First trip to Audi Field. I hear that it's fantastic. So I'm um, looking forward to that. And DC United are a fun team to watch as well. So, you know, this is a fire group that have lost and drawn to them this year so far. So I think that they owe them one out Audi Field, to say the least. Well, it was another massive, massive weekend in the Premier League. And Tyler, I've got to tell you that that I've been covering this league for NBC now. This is the ninth season. I don't think I've ever been as excited about the league as I am at the moment. And there are a number of different issues and reasons for that. Crowds coming back after a season and let's say a season and a half without without anybody and hear, being able to hear a pin drop and be able to hear the fruity language of the footballers that are actually out on the field. You know, it, it was great. We had to do it. Um, it served a purpose for all of us. It kept the show on the road. It kept us entertained and it kept us distracted from, from the pandemic. But, you know, it wasn't what we associate and what we're used to with Premier League football or football around the world. 
I, I can't tell you how exciting it is walking into a ground these days. And, and that was Chelsea on Saturday for me at Stamford Bridge for the game against Aston Villa. And then we had a pitch side desk at Ellen Road, Leeds United, which is the ground I told you about mm-hmm. uh, that Lee Dixon says is the loudest in the country. Uh, he said the loudest he's ever played at. So it may be for him. It may have been, you know, the loudest in Europe as well. But anyway, it, it's kind of restricted to 38,000. Now they want to make it 50,000. But my Goodness, they brought the noise at the start mm. of that game. And it was just a fantastic, fantastic experience. Now, we talked last week about, about the Premier League and, and UK television and the fact that there were five countries on the planet that wouldn't get live coverage of Ronaldo's second debut for Manchester United. I don't know whether you can remember who they were. It was Cuba, Turkmenistan, Afghanistan, uh, North Korea and the yep. UK where the game was actually <laughs> happening. So what I, from what I've told, and it wasn't moved into a TV window, so I didn't do the game. But from what I'm told, Manchester last week, it was like there was some sort of religious fervour. That's how yep. David Ornstein described it to me. David from The Athletic, he's our new Premier League insider on NBC. It was like Gary Neville said last night on Sky Television. It was like a major Hollywood style event was occurring in the city. Bear in mind, Time Out magazine has voted Manchester the third best city to live in in the world. Come on. So imagine, I, I look it up. Now, I think it was New York. No, it wasn't New York. It was these, Amsterdam. These are, the, these are the same people who wrote the IMDb on uh, on Arsenal's Amazon. I, yeah. <laughs> I think it is a pathet- the pathetic demise of a once great club. Just I mean, vibes. look, no, 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 no. Manchester is awesome. Man- the, the nightlife in Manchester, the music that comes out of Manchester, I love that town. It is industrial. It, it, it's just it's real. But third best in the world. Come on, I don't I mean, like time FIFA, out. Like FIFA enough, rankings, they're, 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 yeah, they're, there's exactly. no, they carry no water. Yeah, but it's I mean the weather for a start. But anyway. Um, it just shows you that things are happening in Manchester as a, as a city, you know, and, and you've got two of the greatest football clubs in world football at the moment. So we were at Stamford Bridge, Graham Lasso and I, and we were dying to watch Ronaldo's return. You know, there is a, a healthy level of scepticism because Ronaldo's 36 and he is not the player he once was. Having said that, he's arguably as productive as he's ever been in terms of goals. And that's what Manchester United need. They need a number nine. They have creative players. They have players that can tee up a striker. They just needed that striker. And Cristiano Ronaldo, who, is, who plays... And by the way, his average position was halfway inside the Newcastle half. Romelu Lukaku's average position, different systems, different ways of playing, but his average position for Chelsea against Aston Villa at home, was on the halfway line. Mm-hmm. So it just shows you the difference, that, that Ronaldo at 36 has to stay forward. He's a, he's a penalty area striker now. But you kind of look at, at the way the game's going, and Newcastle played well. And played United's, really well. Yeah. United's midfield was wide open at times. You know, you've got Nemanja Matic, who I think is probably starting to struggle to cover the ground. Fred wasn't playing. Uh, Scott McTominay's injured. I think Manchester United's problem with this Ronaldo signing isn't Ronaldo, clearly, obviously. It's what's behind him. Mm -hmm. Paul Pogba does not want to play in a sort of quasi-water carrier sort of position. But him and Fernandes alongside each other behind Ronaldo with Sancho wide one side and Greenwood the other, maybe a Rashford who comes in. That's mind-bogglingly brilliant. 
if they'd signed Eve Basuma, for example, from Brighton, or heaven forbid, Wilfred Ndidi from Leicester City, I would think this is a title-winning side, hands down. But yep. that position and the blend of the midfield behind Ronaldo worries me for, from a Manchester United perspective. Maybe they win every game 4-2, 5-3, 6-4. Who knows? It's going to be that sort of situation for Manchester United. But Ronaldo gets his, admittedly, a tap-in, poacher's goal. I'm not going to say anything negative about that because it was fabulous. And apparently the atmosphere at Old Trafford was insane. I was I was watching the game with Tony and we're sitting there saying he didn't run past anybody in Syria and and he turned on the Jets. He looked fit, he looked up for the occasion and like you said like that religious there there was just some there was something fourth dimensional something we can't explain yeah. that was going on at Old Trafford that night and and Cristiano Ronaldo was absolutely sensational. And and like you said, I think Newcastle did play really well on the day and maybe deserved a little bit more, but there was just no way, no way that Ronaldo wasn't going to score and that United weren't going to win that game. It was just always written in the stars. Now, just to give you an idea, I think the fastest that Usain Bolt ever clocked was 27 miles an hour. And that was it. That was in his peak. That's when he's winning, you know, the gold medal, maybe in Beijing or maybe London. But Ronaldo, if, if it's 21 miles an hour, at the age of 36, it's bonkers that he can still put in a sprint like that. And what I loved was Lee Grant, the uh, the backup goalkeeper, maybe third choice goalkeeper. He's been there for a few years now, Lee. He's only played a couple of games, but he's sort of like that perennial backup. And he's a, he's a good pro and, he's, and he's, a, he's a funny guy. And he said that at the team meal the night before at the Hilton Hotel in Manchester, every all the United players are looking at what's on Ronaldo's plate. Now apparently Friday's a bit of a cheat day and the and the and the apple crumble and custard comes out. That's an option and the, the chocolate brownie is available and a few other desserts. So his main course apparently was is it quinoa? Quinoa. That's quinoa. how you pronounce it, isn't it? Yeah. Not quinoa, quinoa as I used to call or, it. Or Joaquin. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah I'd, I'd, I've yet to taste it. It sounds disgusting. It's Avocado. Oh, oh, it it's is. a great yeah, substitute yeah. for rice. I, I'm, I'm yeah. telling you. Substitute the fish it. pie. Yeah. Take yeah. out the fish pie. Insert some quinoa. Uh, I'll sprinkle it on my next full English breakfast. Um, avocado and boiled eggs. All right. So, but and it, then it comes to the the dessert, and apparently, not one Manchester United player, having seen that Ronaldo wasn't having a dessert, not one of them broke ranks and went up and got a chocolate brownie. So already they're seeing this is how he keeps himself in shape because he doesn't cheat on anything and he works so incredibly hard. And that attitude and that bar that he sets every minute of every day of, of his entire life is going to make every Manchester United player better. So sort the midfield issue out. I think McTominay might have the legs to be able to make that better. But if, if Ronnie is like, and it was only Newcastle, albeit Newcastle played well, it was only Newcastle. And, and and Ronnie was fantastic. Can he do it for the length of a season? We'll have to wait and see. But I think the Omens, to start with, are better than Manchester United even expected. Well, uh, the first thing about, you know, Ronaldo's diet is, why is this a surprise? It shouldn't be a surprise to anybody that, like, if no. you want to be world-class, you need to do world-class things to your body. You think about Tom Brady and how he's been able to play until he's 44 years old um, and still looks like he's ready to win another Super Bowl after his performance in week one. You think about LeBron James and what he's able to do and, and how every little thing that goes into his body is unbelievably calculated and, and taken with the utmost of caution. This is what it takes in order to not only have 
incredible career playing at the highest level, but for there to be longevity about it as well. That is what it takes. It, it, whatever output is going to go out on the field, it, it's equally as important what you're putting into your body. So that shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody. But you talk about influence that he has over a locker room. doesn't even say anything to Buddy. doesn't say, this is what you're going to do from now on because this is the bar that I said. They're simply watching him and saying, right, this is what we need to do because this is, this is the gold standard. This is what it looks like at the highest level. We need to try to emulate that if we're going to do something special this year. The other thing I will say, and, and talking sort of about um, you know, why this is going to be the most exciting Premier League season, it's not just because those four teams that we've talked about in City, um, Liverpool, Chelsea, and United are, are all magnificent in their own right and, and have incredible footballers, but everybody's missing something. And I think that that is, is, is what makes this season so exciting is that everybody has a little chink in the armor that, that might you know, be able to be exploited by those, by those other three teams if we're talking about the top four. City don't really have a true number nine. United are still looking for that real presence on the defensive side of the ball in the midfield. Liverpool probably are one box-to-box midfielder away, you know, still trying to fill the void of Genie now them to really get back um, you know, to, to the highest, highest level and probably some depth as well. And then if you're looking at, you know, Chelsea, you know, maybe I'm looking it's forward a, to uh, what's Chelsea's weakness. What's, what's Chelsea's, what's well, the chink in their is, armor? I, I think that the, chi- the, the chink in their armor, I, and, and this is, uh, you know, a bit of a stretch. I think that they really need Christian Pulisic to stay healthy and they, and they, they need a winger to stay healthy and to really be world-class. You have your world-class number nine. You have a midfield that's, that's you know, arguably one of the best in, in, the, in the league. You have a defense that clearly is extremely difficult to break down and a coach who's terrific tactically um, and can set them up to succeed defensively whenever they want. But I think that a true dynamic out and out world class winger to stay healthy the entire season. I think that that is the weakness for Chelsea and they have that. It's just a matter of whether or not it could stay on the field. But that was the most difficult to sort of think about before we were coming on the pod as to what they were missing. But um, to circle back to, to United, you know, this is a group that, yeah, they, they might have to score three or four goals a game in order to in order to get across the finish line. But the, the teams around them all are missing something as well. So I think that that's where maybe some of the parity is going to exist and why this is going to be one of the best Premier League seasons of all Tony, time. you mentioned Chelsea. Let's let's focus on them. This is where this is the only bit of the pod that Adub is interested in, really. You know, I've, I've seen him snoozing <laughs> off on the on, on the Zoom call a couple of times like yada, yada, yada. You guys still talking. I'm joking, of course, Adub. Um, so I was at Stamford Bridge. And uh, on Saturday and and Graham Lasso, formerly of Chelsea, of course, when we're talking about what we do pre-match and we, we normally do a 90 second hit to the camera just to sort of, you know, set things up, give the, give everyone a sense of place, a sense of the atmosphere, a sense of what's going on at the actual stadium. Um, Graham said straight away, I want to talk about Saul Niguez, who came in on on deadline day on loan from Atletico Madrid. So, you know, you come from Atletico Madrid, albeit La Liga, which is a slightly slower pace. And, you know, the, the phrase that ex-pros use is that you could play you could play with a cigar on in the midfield, you know, in, in, in La Liga. And it's, that's, that's not a hit on the quality. It's just a hit on the on the intensity, I suppose, yeah. and, and the, the energy required. Um, so he comes in and, and Atletico Madrid, I mean, you know, years and years under Diego Simeone, this guy is going to be battle-hardened. Mm-hmm. He is not a weakling by any stretch of the imagination. Since the start of the 14-15 season, 610 tackles in La Liga, exactly the same amount, you know, as joint first with Sergio Busquets at, uh, at Barcelona. So, and he's a player that apparently wants to play a little bit further forward. He can pass the ball, he can, he can, he can hold the ball. You know, this is a quality 
footballer that, that Chelsea are very excited about to add a bit more depth to that central midfield where they've got Conte, who is starting, I think, to struggle injury-wise. He's played an awful lot of football. You can't rely on him for 38 games. What a player, former Leicester title winner, legend. But the ankle injuries are starting to, to, to mount up and the muscle injuries. So you need to keep him fresh. He wanted to keep Jorginho off the field for as long as possible because he played 90 minutes, 90 minutes, 61 minutes in the international break in, in an Italy team that he that he was prominent in, in winning the European Championship. So he's played an awful lot of football. This was the game. Please, can I give Jorginho a break? Kovacic got the start. He was on the bench. He came on at halftime at Anfield uh, two weeks be- before. He played quite a bit of international football as well. So he wants to get an, at least a 70-75 out of Saul Niguez. Graham says before the game, I want to talk about him because he's in the centre of the park and Dean Smith changes the system for Aston Villa and you've got John McGinn in there and you've got Douglas Luiz in there and you've got the young lad, Jacob uh, Ramsey. And he said, this is going to be tough because it's going to be like walking onto an autobahn if you're used to driving, you know, through country lanes on a nice summer's afternoon because it's just going to be mental. The, the pace, the intensity, the like of which Saul Niguez wouldn't have experienced recently in his career. And what happens? He was all over the place. He was slow in possession. He was out of position. He just did not know what to do. It hit him like a ton of bricks. He was like a rabbit in headlights. He gave the ball away three or four times. He was caught in possession a couple of times. Classic one was John McGinn snapping at his heels. Uh, Saul gets past him and then and then thinks, well, that's it. That's John McGinn done for. Well, it's not because John McGinn's like, well, I didn't get you the first time, but you better get rid of that ball because I'm coming back for you, behind you. And then he comes back, tackles around the side, and it sets up a great chance for Ollie Watkins, which sadly, uh, from a Villa point of view, sadly he missed. So so Tuchel had to make a massive decision at halftime. And by the way, Graham Lasseau, I mean, that's just a wonderful observation that you can yep. follow throughout the game. And then, lo and behold, at halftime, and I say to him, who comes on? And, and, and he says, well, he's got to get Jorginho on. And Jorginho comes on for the second half. And lo and behold, Chelsea, against a somewhat tiring Aston Villa, because they put so much into that first half, Jorginho re-establishes control of the midfield for Chelsea, and they see it out, thanks to a Tyrone Mings horror show, by the way, uh, which gifted uh, Kovacic a goal um, with the poor back pass. Um and that knocked the stuffing out of Aston Villa, really. But they got control back in that midfield. And again, we talk about, you know, Rafa Wicky and the big decisions that you have to make. Sometimes you have to admit it didn't work. I got yep. it wrong. Or I thought I could do it. This would work out like this, but it hasn't. It's worked out like Greg, that. So I've Greg got to change it. in the U.S. men's national team against yeah. Honduras. I mean, a exactly. horrid first half. He got the starting yeah. 11 wrong. He got the tactics wrong. You know, you switch to, you know, you got to switch everything up. You need to, yeah. you need to look. I mean, Definition of insanity. You really want to. You really want to go to your grave and lose all three points in a game yep. just because just because of your pride. I mean, no. I mean, he ended up making the right decision. Yeah, and Kovacic's ball through to to um, Lukaku for the goal in the first half was magnificent. The finish was absolutely extraordinary. It was brilliant, brilliant football. But Villa should have been ahead at half time, or at least level. Villa dominated that half after the after the shock of the goal. Mendy was absolutely sensational in the Chelsea goal, and he had to be. The particular save was one where he was going towards his left. Watkins tried to catch him out at his near post, and it had some sauce on it. The shot, it was going right in the corner. Mendy gets his feet sorted out, gets down to it, pushes it around the post. Brilliant, brilliant goalkeeping. And Tuchel, when we're talking about a top four here, where it might be decided, in fact, I think it will be decided, 
by results between each other because they've mm-hmm. got to, they could they've got to almost all be perfect against everybody else. Tuchel could not afford the game to go the way it was going if if Saul had stayed on the field. So he made the change, and in the end, again, it looks comfortable at three 0 But at halftime, there were a lot of worried people at Stamford Bridge. Tuchel got Saul off. They win relatively comfortably in the end. Just a fascinating little nugget and and cameo, really, of what the Premier League is like and how intense it is. Saul would be a great player for them, I've no doubt. But it was obvious to people like Graham Lasso that he was going to have a tolerated time, and so it transpired. Can we we ask the resident Chelsea fan how he he felt about those 90 minutes? A-dub. It was not their best performance, and I would say... Three, the past three or four seasons, they lose that game 3-0. So that shows you what Tuchel is doing with this team and how mentally strong they are, especially we saw that after the Liverpool match a couple of weeks ago. Mm. Mm. Do you see Chelsea, A-Dub, as title favourites? They have to be. I think they are the title favourite. And I oh, don't I ever so. say that because it, it, it has been true in a very long time. But I think looking at this team and how good Lukaku is right now, but if mm. anything happens to him, I mean, it's it's problem. Over. It's yeah, a, it's a huge problem. Um, it's funny you should say that because the atmosphere at the full-time whistle, and I've been to a lot of Chelsea games over the last decade or so, and there are there are times at Stamford Bridge because they've seen such good teams down there that win titles, win Champions Leagues. They've also seen teams that they don't fully believe in, and this might be a season just to finish top four and maybe win an FA Cup. The fans in that stadium on Saturday believe that this is one of the great Chelsea teams that this team is going to be very special and they're going to win the title. There were smiles, I honestly, everywhere. And this is a critical bunch of fans who, as I say, if you fall below the standards that have been set over the last 20 years, you hear about it. They believe that this is the year and they're excited about this team. I love when the field mics after a goal just get distorted because fans are just too loud for them. And that's yeah. what it sounded like on your broadcast. It was amazing. It was just like it all goes out because the fans are just so loud after the goals. I was waiting for that at Ellen Road uh, with Liverpool and Leeds, but obviously Liverpool are not going to concede a goal. So, Speaking of which then, Tyler, so we do a a pitch side desk at Ellen Road and it's the first time we've been there. It's an old stadium. Um, You know, they've not really had the money, Leeds United, to invest in it. They want to turn it into a 50,000-seater and when they do, that'll be extraordinary. But it's one of the most atmospheric grounds in the country. Um, if you have a look at my social media, um, I've done a, a sort of a video of the walk from from kind of from the pitch side desk. But you have to go outside the ground, back into the ground, uh, along the concourse where the fans are drinking, which is interesting for Lee and Graham because, you know, people want to stop them, get photos, have a bit of banter with them. But we've, we've got 10 minutes to get to the ground and, and get in. I've, I've, I've got the TikTok as well. I've got the TikTok. Uh, where all the kids that's are. when that's when the you TikTok. know that's that if you put yeah. the in front of yeah. something you know you can't do that right you, you know you shouldn't be on it but you, um yeah but actually I, listen the head of content for the uk called me last week and said he likes what i'm doing i'm, I'm, I'm deadly serious the head of the head of content at your, the tiktok your, in uk your main your main me. title your main title i'm now going to introduce you as influencer all or one you're, you're <laughs> not you're no longer lead voice of, of the premier league yeah, you see you're influencer arlo way no i, I will say you do a good me. job on the tiktok you do i don't have the tiktok um, you know, I'm trying to, to stay away from the TikTok. No, I'm, I want to stay away from the TikTok. I spent too it's much not, time on social it's, media. It's anyway. not all dancing. It's not all dancing. It's not all 15-year-old kids dancing. And, no, yeah. no, 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 no. Sort of like it's, Ted Lasso. I mean, talk talk about, talk about you know, not all dancing. You know, yes. Last week's episode was... Oh, uh, wow. Oh. Let, 
yeah, I don't want to give any spoilers away. You know, I got a bone to pick with you as well. Oh, you know, I I think that you have a lot more control over the show than people are giving you credit for because there's a certain team um, that rhymes with Schmester that is playing in the other semifinal of the FA Cup. You know, is that just by accident? Or did or or were you you know setting you know were you were you part of the draw the, the fake draw for Ted Lasso's uh, me, FA Cup? I'll let you into a secret. I have no, I have no influence on that whatsoever. Um, I think Brendan and Jason were being nice to me. That's Coach mm-hmm. Beard and Ted Lasso himself. Um, so when I turned up to to do my first day of filming, it should have been AFC Richmond against Leicester in that oh. semi final. Yeah. Um, for 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 whatever reason. Um, Leicester then decided that, that 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 wasn't for them, so I had to go back and do another day's filming with the semi-final opponent being Tottenham Hotspur. Now, being such a lovely uh, group of people, they still wrote Leicester as being the potential finalists for the winners of that semi-final. So, and I don't know whether we'll ever find out who won between Man City and Leicester. Um, so, <laughs> I, 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 even though I would have said, and no spoilers, but, you know, there's a, there's a, there are parts of that game that that don't go... Um, no, it was the quarterfinal, sorry. The quarterfinal, not the semi-final. Yeah, against Leicester, They were supposed to play, yes, yes. They were supposed to play Leicester. And, and you know, it didn't necessarily go the big club's way. And um, even then I, I was happy to call it because for Leicester to be in a situation like that, seen as important enough to be in a major television show in the U S even though they, they lost the game. I was, I Wait, so Leicester, didn't, Leicester didn't want it. Leicester didn't want to be in the, it was like, some, the main there game. was something. Yeah. I don't, there was, there was uh, some reason that they, that they were unable to commit to it this year. How are City, okay. Exactly How are City okay with Jamie Tart's drunken father uh, as, a, as, a, as a diehard City supporter? You'll have to ask them. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It's very interesting. Uh, but, but, uh, but they were, they, you know, they're, they're doing well, Man City, in, in the lasso sphere as well, aren't they? So uh-huh. maybe, maybe they're happy with that. So on the TikTok, I'm Arlo White Comms um, as well. So I do this uh, video of, of getting up to the to the gantry, and you would not believe, and Americans can't believe, it. you're going through the crowd. I mean, you're literally going through the crowd. Lee Dicko tripped over a step at one point, and there's about 100 people going, ah, you know, like this. It's bonkers. And once you get up there, no bathroom breaks. So, you know, the older you get, you, you, you've got to you've got to figure this out. When are you going to drink water? Because you can't go to the bathroom. When are you going it's to just, yeah, it's just insane. Anyway, but to call Salah's 100th Premier League goal was just it was such a treat. It was such an honor and a privilege to do that. And I, I don't know how many goals of his I have I have called. If it, it's got to be thirty plus. So be able to be on the mic for that. And the move was absolutely sensational. It was total football. Joel Martin was playing as a number 10 for, mm. for, for periods of the game. And, and Alexander-Arnold, the cross came in and, and Salah put it away. It was, it was just, it was a goal of absolute beauty. And in the end, it was, a, it was an easy victory for, relatively easy victory for Liverpool. What the, the downside was, and, and honestly, you know, as we watch Ted Lasso, we, we feel good about the world. You, you're, at, you're at Ellen Road and there's a, there's a pitch side desk and people are smiling and you feel good about the world. You're watching a game of football that's that good, that's that electrifying, and you feel good about the world. Then all of a sudden, reality hits you again like a ton of bricks. And it was poor Harvey Elliott. It was, it was a challenge with Pascal Strauch. 
I, my immediate reaction, and I had to follow the ball as it came out of the challenge, was, well, that's a good challenge. And I thought afterwards, oh, my God, have I just called a horrific leg-breaking challenge mm. a good challenge? Um, but I don't think I have. We didn't see a replay. I've only seen one brief one since. I don't really particularly want to watch it again. Nor do I. Um, and, and the reaction to everybody, from everybody, was that it wasn't that bad a challenge. It was just unlucky. And there was an element of getting his foot caught in the turf. And Graham Lasso was looking directly at it because he had a very similar injury for Blackburn when he was when he was playing, obviously. And it, it led him to missing Euro 96 on, on home territory. Mm. So and, and it was it was awful. And obviously the you know the foot's pointing in the wrong direction. And you know, he's been through it all. And he said afterwards, and I didn't want to say to him, what are your memories of that on air? Of course you don't, because you know, yeah. there's likely some PTSD there or something about about that particular moment although we have talked about it extensively you know over the last seven or eight years but anyway it took him back to that that precise moment and what we wanted to say and he wrote me a note what we wanted to say was after the red card was awarded by Craig Pawson to, to Straub was remember last year when um, Andre um, Gomez at, at, at Everton suffered a very similar injury mm-hmm. um, and Hyunmin Son was sent off but the red card was rescinded because it was seen that Son's Son's challenge wasn't wasn't worthy of a red card. And sometimes these things happen. And I think this will be a, a similar situation. It, it's just so horrible because Harvey Elliott was brought in and given the starts, big games, Burnley at home, Chelsea at home, Leeds away. And my goodness, he looks so good. And for an 18-year-old to be cut down like this, four games into, into a season when this is his season, and Liverpool looks so good and they've got to they've got to figure this out now, is just horrendous. So let's let's just hope he can be back in six months before the end of the season. Uh, and he'll be he's young, he'll, his body will regenerate, and, and hopefully he's going to be absolutely fine. But it's just such a shame because I think that's a blow to Liverpool. And they've got to they've got to solve the problem. And maybe they they dip into the transfer market in January. We'll have to wait and see. But he was he was looking so good, and it's so awful for him. And we wish him we wish him the very best. Yeah, and I I think that you handled that situation as as best as you could as a, as a commentator. And I know that that position can be a lonely one because there's there's not many who know exactly how it feels to to you know be saying whatever comes to your mind and trying to call it in real time, and then you know for the referee to basically give a red card um, based on the injury is not what is supposed to happen. You know, it's supposed to be VAR and it wasn't VAR. Um, and and I thought that it wasn't, I mean, and I would have said the same thing. It looked like a clean challenge. And, you know, even Harvey Elliott came out on Twitter after the fact and said it was not Strauch's fault. It was a good challenge. You know, it was just unlucky. Um, and I think that that's class from Harvey Elliott to realize in the moment and, you know, an injury that is, is going to significantly affect his life. He's got a lot of rehab ahead of him. Um, but, you know, for him to say that in the moment, and he was also in the hospital and, and a young footballer, I think it was about 10 or 11, um, had broken his arm playing, you know, really bad break. And and Harvey mm. Elliott comes into the hospital and is plopped right down next to him and Harvey Elliott gives him a shirt. Um, so clearly, you know, this is a kid who has his, uh, you know, head screwed on straight. And, and like you said, I just think the fact that he was finally starting to get his moment, he was becoming a regular part of the Liverpool 11 and cut down. Um, but, you know, Klopp came on record and basically said that the, that the hastiness of the of the medical staff from Liverpool and them quickly realizing how bad of an injury it was and taking the proper precautions might save him, you know, maybe four or six months uh, of recovery time. So so kudos to the training staff, you know, sort of a thankless jobs at times who, you know, you're just supposed to sort of do your job, but they might have really helped him um, in that spot. But 
no, I think that I, I even in real time and even, you know, the one replay or whatever it was, it, it, it didn't look like it was nasty from Strauch. And, you know, those ones nast- are nasty when you see them, but it, it did not look like that. And Strauch doesn't seem like a ma- malicious player either. Um, so, you know, obviously uh, a long recovery ahead for Harvey, but but a, but a good result for, for Liverpool in the end. All right, Arlo, we've got some Champions League that's returning. Group stage proper. We've got fans back in the building. And I'm just excited for, for Liverpool's group, you know, obviously because Liverpool are in it. But I, I probably think that this is the toughest group that they have. Atletico Madrid, Liverpool, Porto, and Milan. Um, you know, I think that there's one that might be able to rival it in City, PSG, RB Leipzig, and, and Club mm. Bruges. I think if you're looking at it from a, from a difficulty standpoint and breaking teams down, Liverpool probably have the toughest group. You know, you think about Milan and how difficult they're going to be. And, you know, maybe the block that Jose is going to be sitting in. Diego Simeone always well drilling his Atletico Madrid side. And Porto are always a tough out. If you're looking at it from you're going to be terrorized from both a pressing standpoint and an attacking standpoint, then you look at Atlet- you look at the City group with PSG and Leipzig. And, and Bruges are no rollover as well. But, um, you know, this is a really exciting time for Champions League to be back. And, uh and and should be an interesting season and you've got clubs that have not lifted that trophy that have purchased a number of players for exorbitant amounts of money that are looking to do so and namely uh, city and psg who are in the same group but uh, i'm curious your thoughts on on what is the toughest uh, group here mr arlo i think i go along with you i think the liverpool ac milan you know atletico madrid porto liverpool always seem to come across porto don't they whether it's in the group or in the, in the knockout stages so that that to me i mean that is that is a very very tough group so the home games are going to be absolutely vital so liverpool need to start and they need to they need to start well ac milan are are improved um, Anfield will be rocking. That's a real under the floodlights, great atmosphere sort of night um, for Jurgen Klopp's side. You know, Atletico Madrid home and away. It's just going to be very, very difficult. A fancy city to get out of out of that group, uh, but that's going to be fascinating to see how they go against PSG because these are the two new money clubs that have been built and invested in not just to dominate their home leagues but to win on the continent, to win the Champions League. Both have reached finals in the last two years now. Both have lost. Uh, both will be massively disappointed, but have responded by investing millions into their squad. So PSG now has Lionel Messi. Man City now has Jack Grealish. Um, they didn't get the number number nine they wanted, like a Harry Kane, but they've got to be up there with the favourites. I, I think it's going to be fascinating to see how the likes of Real Madrid and Barcelona do. These are the teams that maybe short of a few quid. Although if you, if you're crying or pleading poverty and you're Real Madrid and you absolutely need the Super League, as Perez, the, the president has, has said, why are you, why are you bidding 160 million for, for Kylian Mbappe? Who's paying for that then? If you're skin, you're flat broke and you can still afford to bid 160 million for Kylian Mbappe. I'm not buying it. I just don't buy it. And I like the fact that these new teams have come in and that they've upset the apple cart. And if Real Madrid and Barcelona can't control their spending, then that's on them and that's not on nobody else. So we'll see how they go. I thought uh, Gary Neville said something really interesting last night on Sky TV. He said the four teams that are in the top four in the Premier League are the four best teams arguably in the world at the moment. I don't necessarily agree. I think it's very early in the season, but it's going to be really interesting to see how these four teams uh, get along. I mean, you think about Champions League and and 
what it takes to win it. And and depth is usually the answer to that question, because when you start to get into those midweek games and you obviously have, have really difficult games when you're talking about the Premier League and, and difficulty from top to bottom. Um, so that's the biggest concern for for these English clubs. I don't necessarily agree with with Neville either. I, I, I think it's really difficult to say that those four teams are out and out better than PSG and Bayern Munich. I mean, I think that, I mean, we're in a world right now where we're not even really considering Madrid and Barcelona in those conversations. So I think we should take a step back to, to recognize that for a second. But, you know, to not include those two and, and to say that those four English teams are definitely better than those is, is definitely a stretch. But, um, you know, this is there's so many things that can happen over the course of a football season. When you think about depth, you think about, you know, the need to stay healthy throughout the entirety of a football season, which is really difficult to do. Um, and a lot of these teams in, in England have struggled to do that um, for the past few years. Think about Chelsea and the injury problems they've had, Liverpool and the injury problems that they've had. So, you know, it's not just being a good football team. You know, you need a little bit of luck involved as well. And you need some of the, you know, the housekeeping and logistical things to go your way, whether it comes to a draw or whatever it might be. You, you know, you think about all or nothing you know, for PSG and Man City. I would love for there to be like dual documentaries of all or nothing following City and PSG simply in their Champions League um, quest, which would be really interesting to see. And I would, I mean, that's the final that everybody's hoping for. Um, but but again, I think that City's lack of a number nine might come back to bite them in some way, shape or form, but only time will tell and we'll see what happens in a January transfer window as well. But, um, you know, exciting times to be to be a fan of European football and and a lot of good fixtures on the way. All right, Arlo, let's get into my side of the pond. What do you got for number one? Number one for me, Tyler, it's a big call here, but I think this is the best Premier League we've ever seen. The league was invented in 1992. I don't think there's been this depth of quality in those, what, almost 30 years. Chelsea, Man City, Liverpool and Man United will make the top four, I think, and they are all really good. What we want is a great title race. Fingers crossed that's what we get. But look at this league, Tyler. Look at the look at the different brands of football. We saw Aston Villa go to Chelsea and take, take them on, head on, and, and better them in the first half. West Ham United, tough to play. They're in the top eight. They're playing European football this year. Leeds, winless so far, but they always provide a real challenge. Leicester City, they're always going to be there or thereabouts challenging for European football. Everton, doing well in the top four at the moment under Rafa Benitez. Wolves got their first win. They're a really good side to watch. Brentford, what a story. New, newly promoted. They're in 10th place at the moment. I love the variety of football, the different nature of the way that teams go about it. The managers are fantastic. The players are excellent. This is the best Premier League we've ever seen. So that's a good segue into my number one for my side of the pond, because you talk about the greatest striker that the United States men's national team has ever seen. Ricardo Pepe, the train continues to roll on. Scored an equalizer coming off of his performance against Honduras in the qualifier for the United States, which is arguably the biggest game in the program's history. Since that loss to Trinidad and Tobago, he had a hand in all four goals. What does he do against the San Jose Earthquakes? He scores the equalizer in the 50th minute off a beautiful delivery from Justin Che, who are starting to be rumored that maybe he should get a call into camp as a potential right back as he's been filling in for Reggie Cannon since he's gone on to Boa Vista. And then Fabrizio Romano reporting that there is one particular club in Syria that desperately wants to sign Ricardo Pepe, and there are a few others that are more than interested. You talk about a striker who would fit the mold of Syria, a striker who's opportunistic and is going to be able to finish things off um, with maybe very few opportunities throughout the course of the game. All he needs is delivery. Syria clubs love him. He might just be on his way to your side of the pond very soon. Arlo White, this kid continues to score. He's 18 years old. He is an American hero. 
What do you got Looking for number two? Looking forward to seeing him over here. My number two, Tyler, Everton Football Club. Everton fans, how are you feeling? Rafa Benitez, a lot of you didn't want him to be the manager of Everton Football Club. Why? Because, of course, he used to be a mile away over across Stanley Park as manager of Liverpool and took them to the Champions League and once hinted that he thought Everton were a small club. Hasn't played well with Everton fans, but what I'm not hearing, Tyler, with the record of played 4-1-3, draw one, lost none, fourth place, 10 points out of 12, is a huge amount of uproar from Everton fans anymore that Rafa Benitez is the manager. It's like we all said at the time, if he wins games at the start, OK, they've had a relatively easy first uh, first opening to the season, but if you win games, fans love it. No problem. So unless they go on a massive winless run, which I don't think they'll do under Rafa Benitez, I think Everton fans are halfway to being won over by Rafa already. What's your number two? He's he's won me over. He's won me over at this point. My number two, we're going to stick with the U.S. men's national team. Joe Scally, homegrown product of NYCFC. Borussia Mönchengladbach. He's been starting every single game and playing every single minute, and he's put in some good shifts. Mönchengladbach are towards the bottom of the table in, in the Bundesliga right now. But if you're thinking about right backs and if Sergio Dest is not going to be healthy and you're looking for options, I think that Joe Scally probably should get a call into camp at this point because he's playing at, at one of the best leagues in the world. He's not playing for a particularly great team, but he's on the ball a decent amount. He's a good defender. He's got quality in the attacking third. And I think that this is a guy that probably deserves a, a call into camp. But Joe Scally right now is making a case and hopefully Greg Berhalter will hear that case. Arlo White, why don't you wrap things up from your side of the pond, number three. Number three for me, Leicester City against Napoli, Thursday night. I cannot tell you how excited I am. A little bit scared of the Napoli fans, but I'm so excited to be going to the game with my old school friends, all Leicester City nuts as a fan. I think it's my first game as a fan for maybe two years, maybe even more. We've we've splashed out. We've gone a little bit corporate. Uh, it's still only fifty-five pounds, though, but with access to the uh, to the Joe, with access to the Keith Weller suite, Tyler, that has uh, tea and coffee and two open bars. So we're going to be getting there at about maybe five thirty for a seven forty-five kickoff. Oh, we're going to sit around a table. We're going to talk football. We're going to get into the stadium. We're going to sing songs. Mm. We're going to be fully behind the team. And I cannot tell you how exciting for me it is to be going to a game as a fan no microphone in sight i can say what i want i can be with my buddies <laughs> we can bond together and watch us smash napoli and hopefully there won't be any trouble are you going with the same guy who used to make you wait 30 minutes at each time that you went into a went into a game at a loftus road no i left him off the whatsapp group for this particular invite oh you have Oh wow! Okay, <laughs> punctual, punctual, gentlemen only allowed. Uh, yes, for, for yes. Europa League or, or at least you know the most late you can be is ten minutes. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. Well, speaking of of, of fifty five quid, um, we got an issue with the United States men's national team and the prices that they've set out for the World Cup qualifier on November twelfth at TQL Stadium in Cincinnati, Ohio, against the El Tri Tata Martino in Mexico. Cheapest seat in the house, hundred twenty five bucks. What? $125 for the cheapest seat in the house. If you want a really oh good seat, you're going to have to pay half a grand. You can pay $500 for a World Cup qualifier. Now I get it. It's a World Cup qualifier. They're, they're the most buzz and interest in the U.S. men's national team in recent memory. They're taking on Mexico. This is going to be an epic fixture. I get it. 
I get it. You're taking advantage of the market. But at the same time, it's football. It's Cincinnati, Ohio. This isn't New York. This isn't LA. You can't be doing this. You're going to price out the real fans and the energy and the home field advantage that you were hoping for may not be as electric as you had set out. So I got a real problem with this. And I I know that, you know, in, in England that they try to control this at least a little bit. I think that you said earlier on that it was about 75 quid to get in for, for maybe an England World Cup qualifier. That's a really juicy fixture, but $125. I mean, my goodness. It's just, so it's, it's painful. DOS a zero, a zero. $200 for a decent seat. <laughs> USA against Mexico. Listen, I'm here all week. Help yourselves to the buffet. He's on the TikTok too. Yeah. TikTok. <laughs> right, Tyler. Listen, it's been great again. Really, really enjoyed it. We've got to episode 10 now. I hope people are starting to catch on to what we're trying to do here. Um, it's always a pleasure recording this and talking the game with you. Where are you? Where can people watch the fire this week? The two absolutely massive games. Two massive games, and the first one is going to be Wednesday night, and that is going to be against DC United. That game will be at 6.30 Central Time. You can catch Tony Miola and myself on WGN and Chicago Fire FC Live. And then on Sunday, two six-pointers in one week. They're going to take on Georgi Mihailovic and Montreal, Club de Foot Montreal. That game will be at noon Central Time on WGN and Chicago Fire FC Live. Mr. Arler, what are your Premier League dudes? Two games for me. Yeah, Aston Villa again. I'm really excited to go to Villa Park, one of my favourite stadiums in all the football world. Villa against Everton, which is the NBC game. So 11.30am Central Time, Villa against Everton. Then on Sunday, big, big London derby. Tottenham against Chelsea. That is 10.30 Central Time. This one's on Peacock, so make sure you download that and don't at me on any uh, Twitter, in the Twitter sphere or the the TikToker sphere uh, about Peacock. Uh, I have nothing to do with it, but the, the future of this thing is going to be amazing and you're going to love it eventually. Tottenham against Chelsea, Peacock, 10.30 a.m. Sunday Central Time. Continue to add Arlo for, for any and all of your Peacock problems. He, he is both the commentator for NBC and he's, your IT, he's your IT support as I'll well. Be, I can barely get on a Zoom call, as, <laughs> as I've demonstrated in the previous 10 episodes of this podcast. You think I can sort out Peacock? Think again. Thank you for tuning in to the Intercontinental Football Show. Make sure you follow Arlo on the TikTok. Make sure you follow A-Dub on the Twitter. And have a lovely week, and we will talk to you soon.